You know who I can do without? I can do without the people in the video store. Which ones? All of them. This is Massive Late Fee with Mike and Mark. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Massive Late Fee. I am Mark. With me, as always, is my co-host, Mike. How are you, Mike? Not too bad. How about yourself? Doing well. Doing well. Good week. Uh, We are now on just a little cleanup, a little uh, information for you guys. We are now on Spotify. We're on iTunes. We're on Google Play. Uh, I think we'll be on Stitcher soon. Obviously, you can see us on YouTube. And we are on the website, michigansportsandentertainment.com, as we are the official entertainment podcast of Michigan Sports and Entertainment. You can also find us on Facebook, Massive Late Fee. You can email the show if you have a question, massivelatefee at gmail.com. You can tweet at us using the hashtag Massive Late Fee to our Twitter handle at Massive Late Fee. We got lucky. We have a, a, a unique enough name where we're able to have the same brand throughout uh, all of social media. Isn't that exciting, Mike? Oh, yeah. So uh, we have some news today. Uh, I'm going to run the news by you, Mike. Uh, First of all, the Swamp Thing is DC is making a Swamp Thing TV show. And they've now cast the what they call the two leads... Uh, I'm not sure how familiar you are with Swamp Thing, but at first Swamp Thing is a person, and then he is a Swamp Thing, and so they've they have the uh, they're casting Andy Bean uh, from he's going to be in the new It movie Chapter Two. He's going to play the biologist that transforms into Swamp Thing, and Derek Mears, who does a lot of uh, who's done a lot of Marvel stuff, uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and stuff like that, will play the monster. So, I mean, I, I what are we going to see Andy Bean for uh, five minutes of the first episode? That's my guess, because as far as I know, I'm not super familiar with Swamp Thing, the cartoon. I saw the movie uh, in the 80s when I was a kid, but from my understanding, he's pretty much Swamp Thing all the time. It's not like the Hulk where he goes back and forth. Yeah, I'm only kind of familiar with it. Uh, I only I'm mostly familiar with the comic, which was uh, there was a run that uh, done by the great Alan Moore, who also did The Watchmen. Yep. Um, I guess this take was completely different, where he just basically it was like an animated force. Um, I know nothing about the Swamp Thing. I care nothing about the Swamp Thing. Um, I'm really uh, quite good with the amount of swamp based entertainment I already received, so I will not be watching <laughs> this. Oh, uh, you're full up on Swamp Thing. Swamp Fox or fuck off, as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah, the I and you know, it, well, I I might be interested in seeing this if they do this in the the style of Alan Moore. I mean, the thing is, is it's television, and I don't know exactly where it's going to show. If it's going to, I think I would assume that it's going to the CW. That's where a lot of DC shows go, and you you can't do Alan Moore's Swamp Thing on the CW, not with the not with the level of gore and brutality and stuff that, that he puts into it. So I think we're going to get a neutered kind of uh, Linnea Quigley type swamp thing, which I'm not <laughs> super into. So actually it was Adrian Barbeau. Oh, is there actually like a movie in the, uh, in the eighties or something? I think eight, 1980 or 1981 or something like that. That was when Adrian Barbeau was uh, huge when she was on Maud for all of our younger listeners 
uh, there's no way I can explain Maud or or uh, B. Arthur. Oh, B. Arthur is about. <laughs> Imagine your uncle, but it's a girl. That's B. Arthur. Kinda, yeah. That's that's not too far off. So, uh, yeah, she had a show in the '70s called Maud, where she was a uh, liberated woman, and Adrian Barbeau was her daughter, I believe. And uh, anyone who wants a uh, great uh, a great theme song, check out the family version, family guy extended version of the Maud theme song. Yes, yes, that is hilarious. <laughs> and they did yeah. do that back then. It's funny. Uh, I guess that airtime is so precious now they don't want to do theme songs anymore but when you know when we were young it was still kind of the golden age of the uh imaginative and catchy theme song with the different 80s sitcom theme songs and things like that and they'd go on for two minutes they'd take up two minutes of airtime i love an overly descriptive theme song yeah like i i I thought about this quite a bit. If I could have uh, been in any era, in any profession, I'd love to be like an 80s uh, sitcom uh, theme song. Oh, yeah. You'd be great at that. Thank you. I'd be the next Mark Post. That's right. You know, Alan Thicke wrote the theme song to uh, Different Strokes. Yeah, he he, he uh, was a musician, I guess, at first. And yeah. then he was on, uh, I know he was on The Thick of the Night, which I guess Gilbert Godfrey, I don't know if you've ever heard his podcast. It's yeah. really pretty hilarious. He references that all. Thick of the night. Oh, my gosh. Well, speaking of thick, uh, the heads of uh, Hollywood producers must be pretty thick because they have, they have <laughs> approved uh, a Super Mario Brothers animated movie, which is supposed to come in May of 2022. Like, uh. like uh, it's Illumination Studios, the same people behind the Minions and Despicable Me. Uh, better than a live action series, I suppose. I, I mean, for me, Super Mario will always be Captain Lou Albano. That's right. I don't care what movie they make or what other animated iteration. That was the that that cartoon slash live action show uh, in the eighties or or early nineties where they had. The Super Mario Brothers show and The Legend of Zelda. And it was all hosted by Captain Lou Albano as Super Mario and some guy they found with a mustache as Luigi. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was the best. Uh, that was the, the best video game. The best video game to screen either TV or movie thing I've ever seen in my life. Well, I cannot. I wish I could remember this. Uh, I was... For some reason, I was watching uh, the Super Mario Brothers uh, show not too long ago, like maybe a year or so ago, uh, and I cannot remember who it was. It was like Nev Campbell was on it or something like that. It was just such a random like a. Oh my god, that is hilarious! Nev Campbell. I don't know if it was her, but it was it was so odd. Yeah, that would have had to have been before she was really famous. She was on Kids in the Hall too, as I'm sure you know. Oh yeah, yep, I remember. Yeah, that uh, that is funny. Nev Campbell. She Is there got- a more Canadian name than Nev Campbell? <laughs> I don't know. Um, uh, Pierre Lacroix? Yeah, it could be. I don't know. Nev Campbell's definitely in the running. But uh, oh, 
I don't know what they're going to do. I, I imagine since it's animated, they're not going to bring it into the real world, like the uh, Super Mario Brothers movie with Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo. And I hope that they don't bring it into the real world. Wasn't Scott Wolf in that as well? Uh, yeah, I think he was like a, a henchman or something. The full uh, Nev Campbell trifecta we got there. That's right. But yeah, so uh, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not super interested in this. I don't. I mean, I don't think. I don't think my kids will even really be that interested in it. I know Mario's still popular, uh, but yeah, I think it's isn't it mostly like Mario Kart or like Mario like Battle Royal or some weird thing like that, like Smash Bros. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I think that's where most of the popularity comes. I you know people still probably play the. I think there's like Mario Brothers Sunshine, and I don't know. I don't have a Switch or anything like that, so. I, yeah, I'm, I'm very out of the loop, but uh, with the Super Mario Brothers. We're not a video game podcast, people, okay? So, you know, no. we're not going to break this down, but it sounds like a bad idea for a movie. Although, speaking of Super Mario Brothers, wasn't uh, the Super Mario Brothers 2 like the weirdest game ever? Oh, yeah. You know, what's funny about that is that wasn't even supposed to be a Super Mario Brothers game. They were yeah. They were making one that was like... You know, a lot like the first Super Mario Brothers, but um, they they were I think they were surprised by how popular Super Mario Brothers was and they wanted to rush out a game as fast as possible. So they took a Japanese game whose name I can't remember and they reskinned Nightmares on Acid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they reskinned it with Mario uh, and and the different characters and they just released it. That's why there's the. It's like there's no connection to the Mario world at all. Yeah, it's such a weird game. And then Super Mario Brothers three, which uh, was famously uh, first shown in the movie The Wizard with uh, that's right with with uh, Ben Savage. Yep. Well, yeah, that was Ben Savage, wasn't it? Yeah, The Wizard. That was a great movie too. Imagine a movie today. Well, maybe they could do it because the I think they call it esports now. The video game playing. Yeah is becoming really big. I bet you could do a movie about uh, a video game contest. Yeah, do you, uh, speaking of hilarious uh, YouTube clips, which I don't think we're allowed to show, unfortunately, um, but <laughs> there's one from The Wizard where this kid just talks about his power glove, the most badass thing ever. Oh, He's yeah. like in a cape, if I recall correctly. He like pulls it out of like... I love the power glove. It's so bad. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that was, that's amazing. But it really wasn't that bad. It wasn't that. No, I, I I didn't like it. I didn't like it at all. I thought that it was uh, clunky to use. Yeah, I don't even know what you use it for. Like Mike Tyson's punch out and nothing else. Yeah, I think so. Mike Tyson's punch out and I I, I think you could do that's the thing. It, it it really only worked with the boxing game, and there was only one good boxing game for Nintendo. So you could yeah. use it for other stuff, but it was really awkward to try to use it. Yeah, it kind of sucked. It wasn't bad at all. No, in fact, it was terrible. But our what last, else is from the uh, blogosphere? Our last piece of news today comes from a rival podcast called the Weekly Planet Podcast. I'm a big fan of their podcast. Probably a bigger fan of their podcast than I am of ours. If I'm being honest. Who are these fucks? Well, they uh, they talk about comic book movies, but they have a segment called Hot Scoop or Shot of Poop, 
where uh, they if they have a hot scoop, they report it, and if it turns out to be true, then they win, and if they are wrong, then the host, James, has to do a shot of poop. (laughs) But uh, someone who is anonymous uh, wrote in to them and said that they are friends with someone who works at Lucasfilms, and apparently for Star Wars Episode Nine, this actor, Matt Smith, who was on Doctor Who, he was one of the doctors, young, good-looking guy, is supposed to be playing a young Palpatine. What? Oh, is he like cloned or something? Yeah, I think, I don't know if, that's the thing, people were speculating maybe it was a flashback or something like that, but um, according to their source, and like I said, it's an anonymous source, so take it, you know, with a grain of salt, a grain of of, uh, space salt, um that the role is pretty pretty big. So I'm thinking that's what they're doing in in the extended universe that they erased and everything. Um a Palpatine was cloned and he had like a bunch of different clones and stuff like that. So I'm thinking maybe uh one of his clones. Huh. I'd like to go on the record just say that I hate Star Wars and it's stupid. <laughs> It sounds like uh, one of those things where J.J. Abrams is doing a lot of fan service. I know that Ryan Johnson in the in uh, the Last Jedi moved away from that a lot, and I that's what it sounds like to me. You know, they they killed spoiler alerts for the Last Jedi. They killed Snoke, and uh, I think that. Maybe this is sort of a replacement. I don't know. I don't know that I love this idea. I'm not looking forward to this movie. The Last Jedi killed any kind of enthusiasm I had for Star Wars. A a once, you know, fun franchise. Remember, Mike, when when Star Wars was just a trilogy of well-made and well-liked blockbuster movies? No. The well-made part. I like them. I know you don't like. Yeah, I know. Star Wars. My favorite quote about Star Wars that really just angers people is that uh, George Lucas basically is what people what don't people get? This is like a movie for. Yeah, the movie for. So you have like a bunch of like fifty-year-old men like arguing about you know oh this lightsaber was this color this means that it's it's a dumb movie it's stupid ripped off uh, Joseph Conrad's. 10,000 faces. Yeah, the hero with a thousand faces, yep. That too. <laughs> yeah, and uh, uh, Hidden Fortress. Uh, and wasn't it also, uh, what, what the hell, was it Buck Rogers too? Uh, he wanted to do, he wanted to remake Flash Gordon. That's But he couldn't get the rights to Flash Gordon, so he instead created a billion dollar empire. He was no Seth, or Seth, uh, what's the guy's name? McFarlane. Seth MacFarlane? Yeah, who uh, basically got the rights for Flash for Ted. Yeah, that's right. But, uh, but yeah. Um, I guess Flash Gordon was really big at some point, huh? In the 50s. Yeah, like in the 50s and the 40s, they, they, it was, uh, they would show serials before 
movies. So they'd show like uh, it's like a 10 minute long thing and then you know it'd be like oh continued next time and you'd have to go to another movie to see the uh the continuation of the plot but uh yeah they they were big when george lucas was a kid that's why he liked them so much that 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 kind of structure and everything really informed a lot of the what he did with star wars but um you know i i don't here's the thing is i straddle the line i like the movies i don't watch any of the tv shows I've never read a Star Wars novel. I've never read a Star Wars comic book. I've never, you know, I've never gone as any farther with it than the movies. And I've never been to Comic-Con in my life. And I've never dressed up as a Star Wars character because I'm not a nerd. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I like uh, about, I like about one third of the films. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Empire Strikes Back, I assume. Yeah, the first one and The Empire Strikes Back, and oh yeah, there's like eight of them now, so I guess the third could be an entire trilogy. And I, I, I like Return of the Jedi a little bit. It's more nostalgia. Man, you should say uh, a latecomer. Those are the uh, the fourth, fifth, and sixth movies. You don't like the originals, one, two, and three? <laughs> no, as you know, we saw them together in the theater. <laughs> And uh, it, possibly, it, I, I don't know. I it, was, it was a horrifying experience. It was really bad. Yeah, we didn't try to murder anybody at this one, but uh, I kind of felt. <laughs> yeah, well, I another. Well, we're, I'm sorry. While we're talking about Star Wars, real quick, I just want to point out that a lot of people mention them as being science fiction movies. They're not. They're fantasy movies at yeah, best. Absolutely. There's nothing sci-fi about them. No, not even soft sci-fi. They have laser swords and space. That's the only sci-fi element there is. No, and the, all, anything that would be considered a sci-fi element is just a convenience. You know, I, like they have they have starships, but it's just to get from place to place. They don't care about any of the physics of Star. I mean, famously in the first movie, uh, George Lucas cared so little about science that he had uh, Harrison Ford say that he the he the Millennium Falcon completed the Kessel Run in less than 12 parsecs or whatever it was. And a a parsec's a measure of distance, not time. See, I think that's actually a a, a reference to how efficient the route was. Like, he may have gone through some dangerous, like, asteroid belts or something. I think... 20,000 leagues under the sea, people think it means a matter of depth, but it's really a length of measurement while under... Yeah, it's a a unit of distance, right. Um, I think what they did in the solo movie that I know you haven't seen is they sort of tried to retcon it where they had him go close to a wait, black wait. hole. George Lucas does not retcon anything, okay? Well, he had nothing to do with that movie cuz he'd sold uh he'd sold Star Wars at that point. But um they had him go close to a black hole, so I think it allowed him to cover this distance in a less amount of time because he went by this black hole which was which reduced, you know, time because of time dilation or whatever. But uh, but I think originally George Lucas just didn't know that that was a unit of distance and not a unit of time. That's my that's my theory. But no, they're they're clearly fantasy films. Star Trek is science fiction. Star Wars is fantasy. Don't like Star Trek either. I'm like the worst science fiction. Huge fan of science fiction, but I don't like either the the big quote unquote sci fi franchises. But I will give you that uh, Star Trek is definitely in the science fiction. 
Yeah. Well, they use, yeah, they use, they try to use science. Sometimes they, sometimes they use science as if it's magic, which is something that, oh, that, yeah. that pisses me off because, you know, they'll get into some kind of problem and they're like, well, if we reverse the polarity and, and, you know, and they basically, <laughs> they just go into this, uh, techno babble gobbledygook that um you know is sort of based on real science but it's not wholly connected to any science that actually exists today so it's basically just like oh we can do this it's the easiest way to write yourself out of a problem oh yeah for sure and can we just uh, agree that aliens is the best sci-fi movie ever made? oh well you will have no argument from me there because uh, right. Alien and Aliens are two of my favorite movies ever. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to distract us from the main topic so much. Uh, go ahead. Oh, that's fine. Uh, so now, speaking of distracted, I think that uh, that the dad on ALF was distracted when people were taking photos of him, which I'll tell you about <laughs> in our regular segment, Celebrity... Criminal Inkblot. It's a well-named segment. I don't want any letters on the name of the segment. But uh, this is where we tell you about crimes committed by celebrities. Mike, do you want to go first so that we can save this very delicious story for the end? Or do you want me to go first because you just can't wait to hear it? I've been waiting to hear this since last week, so go ahead. Okay. So... (laughs) The dad from ALF, a man named Max Wright, uh, if you've never seen ALF, picture uh, any 80s dad, and that's what he looked like on the show. Um, he, uh, after the show was over, he was photographed and caught by the National Enquirer. I think this was probably about three or four years after the show was over. Smoking crack... And may and having uh, gay sex with <laughs> with two men. <laughs> one one. Well, they can't they, they can't each other out. Right. That's true. I forgot about the inverse property of homosexual sex. If you have two men, then they cancel out, and it's like you're masturbating. But yeah, one black and one white man. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But you can say he's not a racist, that's for sure. Right. But smoking crack in a crack house and then having sex with the men and it was plastered. I mean, if you ever go online and look it up, you, you should. And anyone out there uh, I don't think I will. You should look it up. But uh they uh there is um yeah, there's uh <laughs> there's some interesting pictures of him smoking crack in this crack house. It is, it's so weird because, and like I said, I mean, we don't have anything against homosexuality or anything, but it, but the smoking crack's very shocking. And it's so weird because he was, the his character on Elf was so mild-mannered and, you know, never did anything wrong, like the perfect kind of 80s father and to see him. And, and Willie Tanner quite frequently said, I will not smoke crack and have a threesome with two other men. I mean, there's a whole other- That's right. That's right. There, that, that was a famous ALF episode where he made that proclamation. 
And it just shows that he's a hypocrite. And like Norm MacDonald says, well, that's that's the worst part. Oh, that, that that's a perfect response, of course. Norm MacDonald referring to the Bill Cosby scandal. Yeah, because because um, uh, Patton Oswalt, who I like and who Norm likes, uh, said that uh, what he thought the worst part of the whole Bill Cosby situation was the hypocrisy. And Norm's response was, <laughs> I, I disagree. I think it was the rape <laughs> because and the, the way, the way he goes into the details is hilarious as always with Norm, but he's like, uh, you know, m- most you, you, I think you'll find most rapists are hypocrites. <laughs> there, you know, very few rapists out there saying, uh, well, you know, I just like to rape and you know, I know it's not politically correct, but it's just what I like to do. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, well, you know, uh, at least he's not a hypocrite, you know, and that's the worst part. <laughs> See, I find this weird about this Max Wright thing because I would think that, you know, especially in the 80s, like being like, well, obviously, star, he's not a puppet for Mel Mac, but one of the stars, the Elf show, he probably would have enough money to not have to go to a, you know, a crack house to smoke crack with uh, two other men he was having a sexual uh, encounter. Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, I don't, like I said, I think this was maybe about five years or so after the show ended. It was a well, really, still, I mean, yeah, it was a really popular show, and I'm sure he it was still in reruns at that time, and I'm sure he was getting residual checks. But I don't know how long his addiction had been going on. Maybe he he had spent a lot of money on crack at this <laughs> point. Yeah, if you know anything about the uh, Alf show, which we discussed last week, there were trap doors that were essentially death traps all throughout the set. So maybe just he yeah, had like PTSD from working on Alf. Right, maybe he got injured after falling through one of the trap doors that they used for Alf to be able to pop out anywhere, and uh, he got addicted to cocaine, and then, you know, cocaine's expensive, and he had to uh, to move to crack. And C- Alf is like a uh, a landmine for PTSD. Did you ever see the movie uh, Permanent Mid? No. It's, uh, it's based on the uh, life of Jerry Stahl, who was one of the writers for Alf. Okay. And like he, like Jerry Stahl during writing for Alf becomes a heroin addict. Oh my god! And at one point he he has like this really like disturbing hallucination where like uh, they call it, they don't call it Alf they call it Mister Chompers. <laughs> well, like at one point he's having like a really disturbing hallucination where Mister Chompers is trying to come through a door to eat him. It's a it's a pretty good movie. I'm not a huge Ben Siller fan like uh, everyone else in America. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 you know it's an, it's interesting. Uh, Elizabeth Hurley's in it. I'm always a fan of watching her on screen. Yeah, me too. I like Elizabeth Hurley a lot because she's a great actress. Yeah, have you seen Bedazzled? I have. Yeah, that uh, she's that's uh, not the best movie in the world, but uh, that's a movie I like to watch. Oh yeah, Brendan Fraser is amazing. <laughs> I think it's a pretty funny movie, but yeah, Elizabeth Hurley, I'll, I'll watch pretty much anything she Absolutely. Um, so, now, what about you? What's your in- installation in, uh, I forget what we call this, Celebrity Crime Ink Blot Station? How can you forget? It's a regular segment on our show. <laughs> I know. I just have that bad of a memory. I see. Well, mine's, uh, mine's, of course, not officially a crime, but it possibly is. Okay. Wonder, I, as many people are, I'm a huge fan of Christopher Walken. Oh, yeah. Um, oddly enough, I mostly know him from his comedic work, like on uh, SNL, and he's in a lot of movies I like. Like, he's in um, 
Pulp Fiction, of course, he has a memorable monologue. He's like only in the movie maybe five minutes, but his whole scene, it just steals you there, movie. Yep. He's in um, the movie, another uh, written by Quentin Tarantino, not directed, um, True Romance. He's again in that movie maybe five minutes and has just an amazing monologue. Yeah, he's very good in that movie. I like that movie a lot. He's on some like super amazing. He's possibly the only guest on uh, SNL to have his own special like DVD. I, I know they don't really make DVD, but as far as I know, I mean, Alec Baldwin has been on there enough. He probably could get one, but I think Christopher Walken might be the only one who actually has his own special. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, I I know I've I I remember those from the late '90s, early 2000s, and I know like Chris Farley had one and. Adam Sandler. Yeah, Will Ferrell had three, I think. Yeah, but yeah, I know. I think Christopher Walken was the only one they did who wasn't a a regular member of the cast. Yeah, and he had like some great characters. I mean, I mean, I'm not a big fan of the Continental. I know a lot of people are really into it. My wife was. Um, he he was in the Force of the Cowbell sketch. Mm-hmm. Um, he was great in the. Uh, I think this is what this is what you do that I love is the uh, the centaur uh, the centaur job interview. Yep, that's a good one. That's a great one. One of my favorite ones is um, he played. Yeah, the census taker. I love that so much. Yeah, that's good. That's the best. (laughs) Was that what you were going to say? Yeah, that's the one I was going to say. Oh, that's funny. But what's kind of troubling is uh, he was on the boat that Robert Wagner was on the night that Natalie would die. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, I've read a little bit about it. It's really kind of weird, so it's kind of disturbing to think that um, I don't know if he was a participant, and I certainly wouldn't say that, but, I mean, it's a possibility. Yeah, and and even if he wasn't, you know, did he know what was going on, uh, you know? And, I mean, there obviously there's never been evidence shown or charges brought against Robert Wagner in the death of Natalie Wood, but it is uh, weird that the three of them were on this boat together overnight. You know, she, uh, Robert Wagner and her have a fight. She ends up overboard and, you know, drowns. Uh, it's a weird situation. And, and explaining Christopher Walken being on the boat is 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 hard and weird. And hilarious. So, yeah. I mean... I mean, maybe if he had, you know, worked with a puppet for a few years and was uh, with a couple of fellas <laughs> in a crack house, that, that makes sense. I mean, hey, is that a crime? Not to me, it's not. God, Alf drove so many people to to just maybe, and, and you know, this happened in the 80s. Maybe Robert Wagner was watching Alf. Maybe they got, <laughs> maybe they got into an argument <laughs> about an episode of Alf. He's not an alien. He's a mutant. Shut up. <laughs> Maybe that's oh, what the argument was about, and Christopher Walken was trying to was trying to make peace between the two of them. And uh, oh you my know, god, was Robert Wagner was Robert Wagner ever on Elf? Is what I want to know. Oh my god, I should look that up. Let's see. Let me see if Robert Wagner was ever on Elf. Uh I know he was on um, Heart to Heart. Oh, oh, apparently not. No, not on his IMDb. Well, would you put that on your IMDb? (laughs) That's true. I guess I'd have to go through every episode of Alf just to make sure that he wasn't on there. You know, I do. uh, Better you than me. Yeah, go ahead. Better you than me. Right. As you know, I do a, uh, a video series on YouTube called Dumpster Diving that I don't think you've ever seen. 
but I think you're aware of its existence. And I did an episode of Alf one time when he dated a blind chick. <laughs> what? Yeah, he, da- he he was lonely and he ended up getting a date through the radio. <laughs> and the woman turned out to be blind. And he went on a okay. he went on a date to her apartment and started describing things about the apartment to her since she couldn't see. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, she um, she ended up touching him at some point in the night, like touching his face before he left, and and really uh, probably was disturbed by how much hair she felt. But maybe she and just they, then maybe, they had the great line. That's my no. <laughs> she might have just thought he was Bob Seger. Yeah, it could be <laughs> another great Norm Macdonald joke there. <laughs> yeah, that that um, um, studies show that men with beards are more attractive, more fine work from the University of Bob Seger. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so before we get into our main topic today, I'm introducing a new topic. That will probably become one of our regular topics because I think that this will be good. As as regular viewers know, Mike doesn't like hardly anything and has not seen hardly anything when it comes to pop Which culture. Which is great for an entertainment podcast. So uh, what we're doing is we I have a segment that I'm calling Educating Mike where I read him or describe to him the plot of a movie or a TV show or a comic book, or something like that. And last week, uh, regular viewers of the podcast, or, or listeners of the podcast, will note, we talked about Archie versus the Predator, which... Can you may, hold on a second. Yeah. Can you imagine if there are viewers, people who just stare at the still image on YouTube? <laughs> I guess it's a little grandiose to call them <laughs> I assume that most... Hey, 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 they're blind women. You can meet on the radio. <laughs> I assume that most people listen to this either while they're sleeping and they, can't, and they don't hear what's going on or uh, maybe while they're in prison or uh, while they're making a grilled cheese sandwich or something like that. Oh, man, I'd love if we got the prison audience. That's a captive audience. Absolutely. But uh, Dark Horse Comics, uh, which is a comic book company that's business model for the most part. I mean, they do some other stuff. Uh, but they they realized that if they purchase the licenses to uh, some iconic characters and then just put them in versus battles, that those issues sell pretty well. And you know they've done they've done a lot that they were the first one that did Alien versus Predator, and they've done Batman versus Predator, Darth Vader versus Aliens, uh, a bunch of of stuff. But th- this one is Archie from the Archie comics, the Riverdale. Uh, world versus Predator. And it's a four-issue series. I'm only going to read Mike and our listeners the first uh, the first series. Well, I think what we'll do is we'll, we'll have this as like an ongoing thing for the, the four of them. But, uh, okay, so it starts off where it's spring break and the gang, uh, which uh, consists of Jughead, Archie... Betty, Veronica, and their black friend who really doesn't factor in the story in any way. And I don't even know if we see after the first panel, so I guess it's just a diversity hire. 
I didn't even notice he was black myself. But um, but anyway, so they're there trying to figure out what they're going to do for spring break. And uh, Cheryl and her rich boyfriend come up and start making fun of them, basically saying, you know, oh, what are you going to do? Are you going to go camping? Or maybe you're going to uh, go uh, tubing on the lake. And the whole time Jughead is struggling with this bag of potato chips trying to get it open, not caring anything what's going on. You know, a real Jughead situation. <laughs> Wiser and, hammer. And, um, you know, he finally gets the bag open, and apparently there was some sort of contest because they won a luxury vacation to a beach resort. So they kind of rub it in Cheryl and, uh, and her boyfriend's face. And the next panel, they go to this beach resort, which is called... Which is called Los Predados. <laughs> well, that's not good. Even if, it's, even if it does involve an alien from outer space. So, yeah. Casey, exactly. what are you doing? <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, you're going to a uh, a resort with a bunch of strangers that's basically called the Predators. Oh, my God. So anyway, um, they uh, they sidle up to this bar, which is called Dutch's Bar, which is, you know obviously is a reference to the first movie. Uh, Sylvester, or I mean, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's character was named Dutch. How dare you! So they're all happy, you know, and um, uh, their friend Reggie's there too, and Reggie tries to uh, get get fresh with. With Veronica after carrying up her heavy luggage to her room, and she basically just slams the door in his face. <clears throat> so he uh, he goes back downstairs, and one of their nerdy friends says that he's uh, he's busy at work because he's got to finish up the the yearbook stuff before uh, they they leave because it, for some reason it's due right after spring break. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me as far as the uh, timeline goes. Nope. And uh, it's not a plot point that comes up at all in, in the story. So, but anyway, so uh, Reggie comes down and Jughead asks him how everything went with Veronica. And he says, no chick can resist the, the Reg, the, the register. I'm a gosh darn sexual tyrannosaur. <laughs> oh, no. It was especially here at Los Predatoros. <laughs> yeah. But just like Jesse Ventura's character in the movie, and uh, obviously Jughead, you know, the Weisenheimer that he is, he cuts him off and says, uh, oh, tiny appendages, very, very noisy, and headed for extinction. That sounds about right. And he goes, yeah, you think Veronica's right. You know, I get to fuck Big Ethel. (laughs) So anyway, um, so their little geeky friend, I think this is maybe the only reason he's He's in the book at all. He pulls out a telescope, and it's so funny, too, because it's so weird how sexual this gets in certain weird... It really is Los Predados, but he, he says... <laughs> Harvey uh, Weinstein, the famous... <laughs> they, should the, they should reboot it, even though it's only a few years old. Just have to keep running into those people. <laughs> that would be hilarious. But he says, oh, gorgeous, I can't wait to press myself against your big aperture and it's his telescope 
Well, yeah. So he uh, he's looking through the telescope and he sees uh, you know something shooting through the sky. I don't need, know why we need to set that up at all. At this point, everyone knows. It's got to make sense, okay? <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, so the rich people who are yachting, uh, you know, around the Caribbean or wherever this takes place, uh, also see the thing in the sky. And they decide they're going to come check it out, and they end up on the um, the same resort as Archie and his friends. And, you know, they're making fun of him and everything. And uh, But uh, Cheryl, the, the rich bitch, she suggests <laughs> she suggests that they have a fashion contest. So Betty and Veronica start, you know, dolling themselves up. And, and it, this is a ways into the comic. But we finally see the first hints that the Predator's there with some, uh, you know, red uh, heat vision panels. <laughs> but we still don't see the Predator at all. So I thought it, you said Reggie was already one of the panels. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But uh, so anyway, so they decide to uh, you know they get all dialed up and and dress up and everything. And and uh, Cheryl says, "Oh, I'm going to pit uh, Betty and Veronica against each other, and that will uh, you know that'll piss everybody off." So you know everyone's voting, and and uh, you know. Archie votes 10 for Veronica and then when he sees what Betty's dressed in which is just a weird like two-piece bathing suit but it's one of those like skirt ones where it's like a mini skirt but (laughs) but it comes down to her thighs it's it's very fully covered you know her whole whole body but she's got some weird fringe on the end and there's (laughs) and it's like purple and yellow and and orange uh stripes it's it's very weird but uh then archie goes betty you're not supposed to be having tits (laughs) but there are some there are some large hearts in in uh in archie's eyes and he crosses out the 10 that he gave to to veronica and puts an 11 even though it only goes up to 10 so He's about to kiss Betty, and Veronica gets pissed and says, you know, how dare you? And they start fighting, and there's a big tussle, and then we see from the woods, the predator is watching <laughs> their fight. And uh, and he's, you know, there's like, uh, there's Betty and Veronica, and it shows their heart rates and everything. And uh, basically, Archie tries to break it up, Tackles Veronica and accidentally punches Betty in the nose. My God. Or actually, Veronica accidentally punches Betty in the nose as Archie's tackling her. So Betty gets, and and they, they, Veronica and Archie end up falling together on the beach and they kiss with Betty bleeding out of her nose (laughs) horrifically right by him. And, uh, you know, there's a thought bubble of a breaking heart, and she ends up running into the woods. So Those are the most wholesome comics ever. So we see, we see the, um, the predator uh, kind of following her with his night vision through the woods. Her, uh, her gorgeous, weird bathing suit ends up getting torn up a little bit, so now you can see a little more skin. And she finds this cave with a jaguar face carved into it it's just yeah it's like like imagine the opening of a cave and over the top of it is a giant jaguar face with teeth 
Like it looks like it can't comes from an actual jaguar because it has actual teeth, but it's way larger than any jaguar would ever be. So she ends up as as you do, as you would if you saw something horrif- horrifically terrifying in the in the uh, jungle. She walks in and yeah. she sees this dagger uh in a very ceremonial uh holster or ceremonial uh, sheath in this like place of honor and she ends up picking it up and kind of like indiana jones rocks start falling from the wall she runs out her friends uh you know now archie's all upset that he made betty upset so veronica and, and veronica's upset that she hurt her friend too so all of them uh are out in the in the jungle trying to find him and cheryl and uh her her rich boyfriend come come with with them and they kind of get separated a little bit the cheryl and and her boyfriend uh get separated from archie and the rest of the gang they end up finding betty and you know he apologizes to her and everything everything's good we see some blood dripping down (laughs) from above them that they apparently don't notice at all even though a giant splotch is is uh landing on veronica's shoulder and then we pan up and they say hey has anyone seen cheryl and her boyfriend and we pan up and there are horrifically mangled bodies (laughs) with the predator sitting in between them and he has ripped out their their uh, spines and skulls and he's looking down at the gang (laughs) And they decide the next day that, uh, you know, sorry, we have to leave early, but we've got to get out of here. So they leave and uh, Betty has taken the sword with her. She almost uh, forgot that she had it, but they Did go. Did she check it or bring her or carry on back? Well, they, they're getting on a seaplane. Which they okay. clearly couldn't take home, but uh, right. yeah, I, I suppose somehow she gets it through customs. They don't. They don't really explain that. They just the they just go to pops uh, the next day, and they're all sitting having a cheeseburger with some, uh, you know, a Sunday and everything. And uh, <laughs> they say, "Hey, you know, it's so great to be home." But then in the very last panel, uh, you know, Archie says, "Anyway, I'm glad everything's back to normal," and you see. Heat vision. It's it's red yeah. vision. The uh, the predator has made his way to Riverdale. Must have somehow almost alien style uh, climbed onto the back of the seaplane. I guess I don't know. <laughs> I, guess. I could imagine him trying to get through TSA. <laughs> Do you have any weapons on you? Whoa! <laughs> so that is the first episode of Archie versus the Predator, where uh, Predator kill count. Two, Cheryl and her boyfriend uh, horrifically murdered uh, spines ripped out of their, their heads for uh, for the uh, the penalty. The, that's the penalty for the crime of making fun of Archie and his friends. Well, to be fair, they were snooty. Yep. And that, you know, that's what snooty people deserve. Are those I think of those characters. Those aren't from the the normal Archie comics, are they? I don't think they're. um no, no, th- no, that's not um I can't remember the rich guy's name off the top of my head. But uh no, they're they're new they're unique characters to to this comic, I believe. Oh man, this sounds like the best comic ever. So next week 
we will talk episode two. Uh, I can't wait. If anyone wants to get it, uh, I know it's available on Comixology. I think it's ten ninety nine. Um, oh, you're you're paying way too much. There's a comic shop by me. You get it for like uh, cover value. Yeah, and you know you can get it at any local comic shop. Um, but uh, I might not have paid for it at all, Mike. <laughs> 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 it's poss- that's a possibility <laughs> any of you who uh, live in the uh, Warren area stop at the uh, comic shop uh, at uh, 14 and Van Dyke ask the guy with the voice box and he'll point you in the right direction wow that's awesome it's not a voice box it's one of those like vibrator things you put in your yeah I don't know maybe it is a voice box he's very nice but he's got one so, but so yeah, there. support your uh, your local comic book dealers uh, and don't pirate or the predator might be on your trail. That's true. So anyway, now to our main. Oh, speaking of predators, <laughs> Harvey Weinstein. Harvey Weinstein produced a lot of movies <laughs> for uh, for the um, the subject of our, our main talk tonight. We are talking Kevin Smith movies. Now, um, Kevin Smith... I think we should point out that this is going to be a, a multi-part series because you and I can both talk about any of these movies like Ed Nauseam. We, oh, yeah. I, I know you're a huge fan. I'm not, I am I could, wouldn't claim I'm as big of a fan as you, but I am also a very large Yeah, I, uh, I think, uh, yeah, we're both probably set pretty equal, I think. Um, and I think we... We share a lot of opinions on the movies that he does that we think are good, and the movies he does that we think are bad. But yeah, his <laughs> his oeuvre or whatever you call it uh, is so large and diverse, and we could talk a lot about it. That this will probably be two or maybe three parts. We'll we'll see how far we get tonight. Um, but yeah, so I suppose uh, the movies of Kevin Smith. I guess we should go chronologically yeah that'd be the best way to do it i think so we'll start with 1994's clerks pretty solid entry uh i think made uh 100 independently i know he sold a lot of his comic books and maxed out like five credit cards or something like that to pull his car too i think yeah to to make the the movie really put a really a gamble when you think about it but uh ended up being a indie darling that a lot of uh a lot of people liked uh they got distribution through uh um it's not the Weinstein company but it's um Miramax Miramax yeah uh the aforementioned Weinsteins uh <laughs> Los Predatores so, so uh I, I like El Predator. I don't know if they're both predators. That's true. Yeah, I yeah. So, as far as I know, only the only the one, only Harvey. I guess he got the allegedly uh, he got the asshole gene in the family. <laughs> but um, yes. Yeah, so uh, not this is not my favorite Kevin Smith movie, uh, but it is a very good film. Uh, I like it a lot. It was very different for the time. The, the um, you know, like he, uh, Kevin Smith and Quentin Tarantino, both kind of almost simultaneously, sort of started revolutionizing the way dialogue could be written in movies, almost like David Mamet style, but more focused on pop culture and things like that. And the dialogue 
was what really set this movie apart from a lot of oh, other sure. independents that came because I love Kevin Smith. I'm, I'm going to try not to be super critical, but I'm going to be honest with everybody. He's not the best director, quote unquote, uh, in the world. I, I don't think even Kevin Smith will, will would argue with that uh, as far as shot composition, things like that. It's interesting. There, there are some interesting shots. Uh, there, it, it's an interesting direction, but it's not super inspiring direction the the strength of the movie is clearly the dialogue and uh it also launched one of my favorite kevin smith properties which was clerks the animated series oh that is amazing which we'll talk about at some point but um (laughs) but yeah i uh i would i'd put this i don't know if you if you want to rank them or uh i mean it would be hard to, to remember each movie and where we ranked it but uh, I don't think I don't think I really could rank them. A lot of them are very different from the other ones, so I don't think they're really comparable. Yeah, but I would. Uh, I mean, I would say this is de- a definite recommend. I think uh, you know it, it's a for, it's a great starting off point for one, and it's uh, you know it's the introduction of Jay and Silent Bob. Uh, I know Kevin Smith has talked about how he originally wrote the part of Randall for himself. And that's why Randall has most of the good lines. <laughs> but uh, but Randall, he realized that it was too difficult to try to direct and act at the same time. Plus, he didn't think he was that great of an actor. So he decided to give himself the role of Silent Bob, or wrote himself the role of Silent Bob, a guy that barely talks at all. But it really works. The, the chemistry between the two of them uh, really work together, I think. And sort of, it kind of ties a lot of, things together like the the clerks are obviously a lot in their own world and i think jay and silent bob intentionally or unintentionally kind of was their bridge to everything else weird that was going on um in their their little town yeah this i mean like you said this is his directorial debut i again i don't think he's a great director but i think i don't think anybody else could have directed this movie i think they would have ruined the dialogue how important it was because basically Kevin Smith makes the characters speak as if normal people of that age from that era would speak. It's almost like you could walk into a town next door and see these characters. I mean, they're all very realistic. They're fleshed out really well. You can kind of see what's going to, you could, I mean, it's not shocking what any of the characters are going to do, but that's not a bad thing. Yeah, no, I I agree. I, I agree with everything you said. I don't think anyone else, you know, Obviously, no one else could write it. I don't think anyone else could, have, even if you wrote the script exactly the same way. I don't think any anyone else could have gotten the same tone. The same, you know, I don't think it would have worked. I I agree with you, and yeah, that's the. It's almost, uh, it's almost, it's almost like magic realism. Obviously, there's no magic in the movie, but but it's like a hyper realism where, you know, like you said, each of these characters is portrayed as if. Because everyone speaks this way. Everyone in the movie speaks oh, yeah, the sure. same yeah, way. It's all, they all have the same kind of, uh, they all have the same dialect in a sense. It's the Kevin Smith and Smithy. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, it's, it, but, I mean and, and even though this is an independent movie, um, he I know he went to film school shortly before this. He mm-hmm. learned, you know, the basics of directing. And like we said, he basically pawned all his earthly possessions to make the movie. He was working as a clerk. Was it at the video store? Do you remember? Or the the... I th- the party store, convenience store for those non-Michiganders out there. I think he, I think he worked at the convenience store. I believe, although I don't know. No, I think you might be right. I think he might have worked at the video store, but it was. Or, I mean, or the person might own both. I think I'm not really sure. Yeah, 
But I believe he filmed the movie at night, you know, while they were closed because he knew the shop owner, and I'm sure he paid them something. Yep. But I mean, even though it's an independent movie, all almost all the actors are amazing in this. Like Jeff Anderson is just brilliant. I mean, mm-hmm. he plays Randall. Yep. Um. Ah, oh, geez, Brian Johnson. Brian Does he o- play Dante? Brian O'Halloran. O'Halloran. Yeah, yeah. Brian. Uh, Brian Johnson obviously is in the other movies. Brian O'Halloran's great, and of course they play. Uh, um. He they play similar characters in other movies like Gilhead. And, yep. uh this sort of thing. I mean, there are a few like it's kind of interesting. He put a few like literary references in there. From what I heard, or I thought I heard him say it at some point, that he put a lot of the stuff in there just to hope it would be picked up by the college crowd. Yeah. Like between a lot of the scenes, there's like a uh, an ele- like a SAT style word. I don't remember all of them, but I'm sure you know they've been analyzed to death. Mm-hmm. The main character is named Dante, probably in a reference to Dante's. Inf- yep. And like I mean. Uh, you know the the sorry, I'm drawing a blank right here. The the guy, who, the guy who what? I'm gonna kick myself. The guy who plays Jay. I'm gonna kick myself when uh, you say his name. Oh, Jason Muse. Yeah, Jason Muse is great in this movie too. I mean, they're charismatic. Randall's charismatic. There's mm-hmm. there's even connections to the other movies, which we're gonna talk about next. Mallrats. They go to the funeral of a character mentioned in Mallrats. So. Yep. The movie is really, I mean, I, I know they had a bleak ending initially, which was um, that, that someone came in and just kills Dante at the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah. And and I think a good idea to, to change the ending, to cut that out. I've seen that um, that ending, and it, it, I understand what he was going for. You know, he wasn't supposed to be there, you know, kind of oh, like yeah, for sure. random, you know, and, and like you said, with the, um, with Dante, you know, reference to Dante's Inferno and, and things like that. I, I, I kind of get what he was going for when he thought about that ending, but I think he made an absolutely great decision not to do that. It's such oh, yeah, a, that was, that was the best decision ever to not, uh, end it with, with Dante being shot in the head. Right. But, and it's such a, it's such a tonal shift from oh, yeah. everything else in the film. And maybe he realized that if you think, I mean, in a sense, Dante kind of are in hell without being murdered, but he was in a hell of his own. And, you know, he imposed it upon himself. He was the one who basically kept himself stuck where all the other characters were trying to progress and move somewhere else. He was just stuck. And, oh, I have to work here. I came. I mean, he didn't have to. He didn't have to be there, you know, as, yep. as he says multiple times. Yeah, absolutely. No, yeah, it's definitely a, a the movie's definitely about uh the the hell that we make for ourselves yeah and I, I haven't seen it in a long time i would assume it still holds up i mean it's it's certainly a product i mean that's like a snapshot of 1994 living in new jersey mm-hmm. being a smart guy who hasn't quite figured out what you want to do for yourself that's i mean dante is a smith at that point i was yeah and i you know i um like i said i uh i give it to him he took a big risk mortgaged a lot of uh a lot of stuff his car his comic book collection uh, oh yeah i mean you couldn't take a mega he literally bet everything he had against himself and was you know he yep yep and you know so i i definitely i think that's a great uh success story for sure and like you said you know i don't know how he found i you know I guess we should have probably read or done some research before we did the podcast. But oh, no, he, he knew Jason Muse from a really young age. Well, yeah, I know he knew me. I know he and Muse have have been friends for a long time. But uh, you know, I don't know like where he found um, you know Brian O'Halloran or. Um, I think they they just tried out for the movie. I, I could be completely wrong in that, but I think Brian O'Halloran just tried out for the movie. I 
Jeff might have been his friend. I'm not sure, but I, I don't know. Jeff is he steals the movie for sure. I mean, Jay's oh, yeah. great in it too. Um, but Jeff Jeff Anderson just steals. Yeah, Jeff Anderson as Randall is probably the highlight of uh, of the entire movie. But even like you know the the girl that plays Caitlin Bree or that uh, that uh, guy. I think he's I think he's Rick Darris. Um, that uh, comes in and talks about how Dante needs to lift weights because when he lifted yeah, yeah, up yeah. The, the milk, um, <laughs> even that small part, that's that's good acting. I mean, you know, like no one is Al Pacino. Or, well, Al Pacino is a really bad example, but uh, no Al one, Pacino pre nineteen eighty. Yeah, there you go. Like no one's De Niro or or Nicholson or uh, Robert De Niro pre nineteen ninety. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> And probably Nicholson pre, like, I don't know, 86? Uh, I don't think you could say that because The Departed was probably his most recent oh, thing. He- yeah, that's true. Yeah, I forgot about that. But anyway, yeah, he really doesn't go. I mean, he does some bad movies, but he really doesn't lose his, his, he, ab- he doesn't, his ability. He doesn't wallow in them like Robert De Niro does. <laughs> right. But anyway, so, like, none of, them, none of them is that caliber of actor, but they're all way better than... than um, the average that you would see at like a local community uh, theater or even even a, a local one where they're they're part of the union and, and they're paid uh, the, the, the acting is is very good in this movie yeah I would guess a lot of that is a testament to the the high quality writing that Kevin Smith made for the movie I mean the dialogue is like amazing for the entire movie yeah and 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 who's to say because I don't I I've, obviously you and I have both watched a lot of behind the scenes stuff. Uh, when it comes to Kevin Smith and, and his movies, but I haven't necessarily seen a lot of him interacting with actors. It, it's possible, and I haven't read a lot about about that either. It's possible that he's just very good with actors. Yeah, that, that's definitely a possibility. I mean, he always seems to bring out great performances in all of his. Yeah, the, the one bad thing that I've heard about him working with an actor was on Cop Out with Bruce Willis, which obviously we'll get to later pro- next week, but. Uh, you know, I hear a lot of people have a problem working with Bruce Willis, so so I don't really put that on Kevin Smith. No, I, I wouldn't either. But yeah, so uh, I think uh, you know that's that's the good one. Uh, so we're gonna move on to probably. Well, man, we're going chronological order, right? Yeah, I'm. I'm just. I'm thinking if it's my favorite or not. It's it, it's probably if it's not my favorite, it's my second favorite. Um, with I Ma- think this one's your favorite because I know you were for a while obsessed with this movie. Love Mallrats, which is the second movie, the first big studio movie, uh, Universal Pictures. You know, obviously Kevin Smith and Clerks was you know a sensation once they got distribution. People started to see it and everything. They made. Uh, I think something like 10 or 11 times their budget. And uh, they got a deal through Universal, which ended up kind of constraining him a lot, I think. But he got enough of of himself in there and everything. And I mean, obviously, he wrote the script again. He directed it again, played Silent Bob again, got a lot of his regulars in there. This is the first time that he works with Ben Affleck. It's the first time that he works with uh, Jason... or um, Jason Lee, and uh, the first time he works with Shannon Doherty. Yeah, the first and only time <laughs> he works with Shannon Doherty, and I think the first time that he worked with, um, 
I can't think of her name off the top of my head. The uh, Joey Lauren Adams. She plays the uh, the woman who keeps trying to change, and Silent Bob keeps breaking in on her somehow. So if you haven't seen it, definitely uh, check it out. But I'll give you the the plot details real quick. There's uh, T.S. who's in love with Brandy Svenning, and he wants to take her on spring break to uh, um, Los uh, Predados. No, he wants to. He wants Universal Studios. Yeah, he wants to take her to the Universal Studios. And um, he's going to propose to her and everything. And uh, her dad hates him. And depending on which version of the movie you see, because there are versions that incorporate the the cut footage, which there's a lot of cut footage in this movie. The Civil War reenactment? Yep. All that, all that stuff. And I've seen both versions of the movie. I've seen the theatrical release which is the normal uh you know movie that everyone saw and then i've seen uh, all the deleted footage which you and i have both seen from the um from the dvd but i've seen all that re-edited into the film and i'll tell you the uh the edited one's better i mean i <laughs> i like seeing the uh the the stuff that went on the cutting room floor but the way they cut the movie much more coherent flows much better uh it's much less choppy and and it gets to the comedy and and stuff a lot quicker so so i think they made the right decision i think that a lot of that was studio stuff but i think they made the right decision with the way they cut the film and and i think they made a really good movie like i said it's if it's not my favorite it's my second favorite mike and i have watched the commentary uh the audio commentary more than once which comes up in other movies. Which is pretty amazing. <clears throat> yeah, well, when we get to Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, we will talk about all the ways that audio commentary tracks <laughs> come in as inside jokes for Which that is movie. like probably the deep, that's like the most 90s slash early 2000s like take you could take. Oh, absolutely. But uh, yeah, I, I think Mallrats is a lot of fun. I think it's... Uh, I don't know. There's just there's something about it. It's very charming. It's very. It came out in 1996. Uh, Mike and I were in high school at the time. Maybe part of it was you know our age and um, and uh, you know just the time of life that we were in. But uh, that one really that was that was the one I liked Clerks a lot, and I had seen Clerks, but that was the one when I saw that movie. I was like okay, I'm going to see every movie that this guy makes because I, I oh, fell yeah. in love with that movie. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways, Mallrats, if not establishes, definitely expands, expands the Askewiverse that it's often referenced when you're talking about Kevin Smith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well... Um, he basically... I mean, I don't know if he was in anything before this, but he almost essentially just plucks Jason Lee out of nowhere and he's like Randall on steroids. I mean... Jeff Anderson's a great actor. He's amazing. I mean, Jason Lee is just a, a one. I mean, you just want Jason Lee's character the entire time. Yeah, I, I believe he was a pro skate skateboarder. I don't think. Yeah, uh, he was a skateboarder. I don't think he had done any movies. I don't think you know he was interested in getting into acting. He might have done a commercial or two, or something like that. But you know, he came in. I know he just came in for um, for an audition, and yeah, uh, basically Kevin Smith discovered him, and. That shirt that uh, Brody, that uh, Jason Lee's character, uh, wears the entire movie 
is apparently an amalgamation of three other guys who were the finalists with him for that uh, <laughs> for that role. Right. Was Jeff won. Anderson in the? No, I believe he. I think he was he was doing something else. He was. I think he was busy uh, on something <laughs> else, or, or for some reason he couldn't do it. Um, or it might have been, and here's here's the other thing. It might have been that the studio wanted a more uh, polished actor with, um, you know, with representation and all that that crap. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, regardless of how we got in there, Jason Lee is just incredible in the movie. He's like the uh, you're perfect, almost like uh, Eddie Haskell on steroids. Like you know, the the devil on your shoulder the entire film. He's just like pushing. Um, shit, what's his name? Uh, what? <laughs> Jason, sorry, Jason London, Jerry London, one of them. Yeah, I believe it's Jeremy London in this movie. Yeah, which again, his name T.S. is another literary reference, which is kind of like a callback to um, Clerks. T.S. Eliot is who I I think the characters. Well, I think it's double, I believe, because um, I like... uh, I think yeah, I think it's no. I think you're probably right. I had a I had a theory that now that I think about, it, it's probably stupid. <laughs> so, okay, I got to hear it then. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, his name is uh, um, T. S. Uh, Quint, which the Quint is um, a uh, reference. Oh to- yeah, well, let's let's go into that in a little bit because there's multiple references to Jaws in this movie. Yeah, well that's that's a reference to Jaws. Brody's character's name is a reference to Jaws. Sheriff Brody. Yep. Um, and uh, they were going to have a scene that's actually in Chasing Amy. Chasing Amy, right? But it uh, they got cut from Mallrats with their friend, uh, another friend that they meet, uh, who who's named Hooper. And yeah, oh, and what more reference? I, I think we didn't we glossed over this in the intro. He was going to propose to his girlfriend at Universal Studios at the exact moment that Jaws popped out of the water, which every guy in the movie thinks is super romantic. Right. <laughs> but I always thought that maybe T.S. stood for the shark. Yeah, it could be. Although his character is the complete opposite of that. Yeah, oh, absolutely. But now, yeah, now that I think about it, I think your theory is probably much better. And by better, I mean uh, an actual theory, and, and mine's pretty dumb. <laughs> and another uh, another fun connection is uh, I don't again I don't know Jason London or Jeremy London. One of them was on Party of Five, which was uh, the star uh, Nev Campbell. Yeah, that's right. Another Nev Campbell connect. We've got a Nev Campbell bingo going. All you players at home, uh, take a drink. But uh, oh god, yeah, I hope someone inv- in- invents a drinking game for this podcast. <laughs> Every time we interrupt or go off topic, take a drink. <laughs> oh my god. We'd be responsible for so many deaths. More than uh, the death of our movie going up for it. Oh my God. But uh, yeah, Mallrats, it's just so. What is it about this movie? I think, like you said, first of all, it establishes that we're in a universe. Obviously, it takes um, at least two movies to kind of establish a connected movie universe. But Jay and Silent Bob come back. Uh, as you said, he talks about uh, Julie Dwyer uh, dying in the pool 
uh, because she was supposed to be the one that's on the game show that Brandy's dad is is hosting, and that was the funeral that uh, they visit, they they go to in Clerks. So you know, in continuity, Mallrats takes place. I think Kevin Smith said a, a day before the events of Clerks takes place. Yeah, that's. Not, I mean, it's a quick funeral, but that's close enough. Yeah. So. So basically, you know, this is the first time that that astute viewers or whatever are like, hey, we're in a uh, a shared universe. These characters, you know, are connected. Um, I believe they talk about um, uh, what's his name, uh, Rick Darius. I think they talk about yeah, they they talk about Rick Darius. Because... Yeah, on a pool table, wasn't that? <laughs> that's... Or was that? In... Yeah, that's right. When. Uh, when Quint is talking to Joy Lauren Adams' character, and it's revealed that they used to date, and he said um, that, you know, she cheated on him all the time and stuff, and she said, like, when? And he said, well, you fucked Rick Darris on a pool table. <laughs> and she said, who remembers that? And... <laughs> and Brody has a great line. Yeah, Brody, Brody remembers, and he says... Uh, you know, because it was a costume party and they were dressed up as Smokey and the Bandit. And he says, yeah, how many times you get to see Smokey fuck the Bandit? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a great... But, uh, Another thing I, almost, I was trying to think of this. I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. No, drink. I was trying to think, how, how does this movie start? Because it actually starts in a, an amazing way. Like, like a lot of good books, you want to start with a great opening line. Mm-hmm. This is like just kind of like a panoramic shot of the mall, kind of establishing the different... You know, uh, locations and stuff, and you hear a story about his cousin Walter. Yeah, that's right. Was that was that Jeff Anderson doing that story? I can't. It's, I, I don't. Re- it might have been Brody. I don't. I, like- I, I'm pretty sure it's Jason Lee. I'm pretty sure. Jason yeah, that would make Lee's more sense because Jeff Anderson would make no sense at all. Right. But he does. I think. Oh, they're. Um, they each tell a story about a cousin with the same name, and I think it turns out, according to Kevin Smith, they're cousins. That, yeah, I think that's right. That Jeff Anderson can even show them in a certain movie as cousins. I could be wrong though. Yeah, but uh, but yeah. So they they end up they're being, they're cousins, which makes a lot of sense character wise. Um, For sure, I would love to see a, a a buddy com with both of them. Oh my god, that would be great. But yeah, so um, yeah, that's that's a good point. The way the the way it opens is really great. He tells the story about. Uh, about his cousin, which is hilarious. Oh yeah, that's when the other story was told. Um, uh, in Clerks, Jeff Anderson's uh, character Randall tells a story about his cousin trying to suck his own dick. Oh yeah, and he breaks his neck. Yeah, and then he uh, and then um, he gets Dante to admit that Dante's tried to do that before. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah. and then he asks him when. When uh, he did, he's like, I never did that. You sick fuck. <laughs> After telling him that uh, every guy's tried to do it at one point yeah. in their life. Oh, yeah. And I, th- I could be wrong. Uh, I'm probably not, though. I think the cousin Walter is a reference to his good friend, Walt Flanagan, who makes an appearance in the movie. Yep. The movie Mallrats, not Clerks. Yeah, and they talk They talk about Walt Flanagan's dog um, and stuff. Yeah, that. Uh, yeah, that's definitely a... Uh, and I don't know if you've ever watched... Comic book men. Yeah, I've seen a couple episodes. Walt is on there, and also Brian Johnson. Yep. Yeah, I haven't seen a lot of them. I've seen probably two or three, but uh, you know, it's a it's definitely an interesting show. But yeah, that's that's uh, 
that's Walt's. I think Walt and Brian basically run the comic book store that Kevin Smith owns. Uh, is it Silent Bob Secret Stash in Red Bank, New Jersey? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I like the show uh, Comic Book Men, but it's it's to me it's too similar in format, and I think the format kind of limits them because it's more like a Pawn Stars type thing. Like, oh, you have uh, Archie versus Predator issue one. Let me take a look at that. And then you know, Walt has like encyclopedic knowledge of you know comic books, so he talks mm-hmm. about it. But I mean, I, mean, I like comic books, just not to that degree. The one that I remember, because like I said, I, I, like I don't even know if I've seen full episodes, but it's not a bad show. Um, Oh, not at all, no. And but, I mean, they're likable, they're funny, yeah. they're smart. I like, it's not my... I like, um, I like Walt a lot, but, um, yeah, the one I remember is somebody brought in the, and I don't remember what it's called, but it's the G.I. Joe aircraft carrier. And it's enormous, like this, just this huge, uh, toy that takes up an entire table and they, uh, they kind of haggle over the price. One of the guys, uh, I think it might be Brian or, or one of their, the younger guys that aren't in the film wants it for himself. So he basically, uh, he basically haggles with the guy over the price, but that's the one I, I kind of remember the most. Yeah. There's quite a few seasons. and I mean, I'm sure it's worth checking out if you're into that sort of thing. Just not really my thing personally. Yeah, well, like I said before, I'm not like I'm not huge into comic books. I enjoy it's it's one of those weird things because I like reading and I like um, I like a lot of I listen to a lot of comic book podcasts or or like comic book YouTube shows. I end up knowing yeah. a lot of things about comic books I've never read or or you know never experienced in any way because I just I don't know why like I happen to. Um, just find them fun like i find them funny like the the hosts i think are are humorous so i end up listening to them so i get a lot of knowledge of stuff that i ordinarily wouldn't have any knowledge about but um but yeah like that stuff can definitely be interesting i think and i like walt finding it a lot yeah i'm sure you're aware that uh kevin smith has a podcast fat man on batman i don't know if it's still running where it's basically him talking about the character of batman yeah i haven't actually which again is a huge a huge part of this movie it, oh, it's pretty good. Uh, he has different people who play the role. Like, uh, shit, I'm not going to know the name right, but the guy who did the voice for Batman the Animated Series of Batman, Ke- Kevin I mean, Conroy. That's it. Yeah, yeah. He was amazing. That that Batman the Animated Series is amazing. I love when I was a kid. That was my that I love that so much. That's the other thing too. That that I, might be the best Batman. I'm not even kidding. I mean, Mark Hamill and the best plays Joker. Joker. He's yeah. Mark Hamill as a Joker is wow. He's incredible. Yeah, I, I I agree. I think that Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill might be the best Batman and Joker. And no, you know, disrespect to uh, Heath Ledger, rest in peace, who did you know an amazing job, and and Jack Nicholson did a good job in in Batman. Or Caesar and, Romero, Caesar Romero, who famously would not shave his mustache <laughs> to play the Joker, <laughs> so it's just grease painted over. <laughs> yeah, but. Uh, um it looks so weird but um yeah uh i i love that and that's the other thing too is i have an interest in comic book characters i've just never really read a lot of comic books because i watched the x-men animated show i watched uh batman the animated series when i was a kid i loved both of them um but yeah just for some weird reason i just never have gotten into to comic books but um yeah yeah but um as we were saying uh mall rats is definitely a a very tidy foray into Kevin Smith's obsession with the character of Batman because Silent mm-hmm. Bob not only thinks he has Jedi mind tricks, which is this is 
not the first reference to Star Wars. I mean, obviously, I'm not a fan. Uh, Clerks has a pretty brilliant take on the whole uh, I, private contractors being used to assemble the Death Star. Yep. But then for some reason in this movie, uh, Silent Bob seems to think he is able to use the Force. Yeah, I don't know why. Which I, I don't know either, but is this also not the first time that Silent Bob actually speaks? Or does he speak? I don't know. If, I don't remember if he speaks in this movie. He speaks, you know, I think he speaks, I know he speaks at the end of Clerks. He says, um, you know, uh, something about um, how uh, women, you know, like women are a dime a dozen or something like that. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. And where he says that, uh, you know, most of them, or at least like uh, not many women, you know, take the time oh, yeah, to make a you know? Yep, yeah. that's right. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if he you. put that in there just so he would make sure to be in it. A- in one of his movies in a speaking role, because he might have thought Clerks was the last movie he'd ever make. That's true. That's a good point. He was such a Hail Mary, you know, I mean, obviously he had the talent, and, you know, again, the writing was just brilliant for Clerks that, you know, he was able to make more movies, but, I mean, it's certainly plausible thinking that you're, like, what, your early 20s, you spend every dime you've ever had mm-hmm. to make this movie, that you're not, I mean, he was basically, him and Robert Rodriguez, who were around the same time, were basically the first people to make their own movie, and then, oh, hey, you're a Hollywood, you know, director. Yeah, exactly. His his line in Mallrats is the shortest, I think the shortest line that he has and the least connected to the story in any way. Um, he just says, uh, adventure, excitement, a Jedi craves not these things. Uh, there you go. Yep, that's it. Um, but yeah, so that that's, you know, I think to me, and we'll get to this next week, but to me, I think my favorite of his is from Chasing Amy. Yeah, and then, of course, the Chasing Amy is hilarious because uh, Jay references, he goes, you always tell that Chasing Amy story in, in other movies, which yeah. is just great. Just so, just like one thing he goes on and on about. Yeah, that's so awesome. But, uh, yeah, that's this is uh, I, this is definitely, like I said, if it's not my favorite, I'm, I wrestle between this and Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Um. But uh, between which one's my favorite, which one's my second favorite. But this one definitely was the one that fostered my love for for Kevin Smith movies. I think that it's fantastic. I know that he's quote unquote apologized for it before. You know, he's had a lot of fun at the fact that it didn't make a lot of money uh, and that it wasn't uh, reviewed very well by critics. I would argue that a lot of his hardcore fans put this one really high up there though in with good cause it's got like so many great links and even sets up the rest of the view yeah yeah it does a lot too and even that stuff at the at the end that he just kind of threw in you know i've heard him tell the story about how he just wanted a monkey he says because it was a major studio <laughs> so he said you know they said you know anything you want we can get and he was like uh can we get a monkey and he said, "Yeah, sure." You know, so they got they got a monkey, and he had no idea what to do with it. So he just puts <laughs> that little coda at the end where he says, um, "You know, and Suzanne." That's another story. Yeah, and that comes in in, in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, I guess we'll end it here tonight. Uh, next week we'll pick up with Chasing Amy. Um, maybe maybe is the most critically. Uh, well-received movie that he's ever done. Um, it's a it's another one that I like a lot. But uh, yeah, we'll start with that next week. Um, so everyone, listeners, 
You can reach us, as I said before, on uh, Mass- at Massive Late Fee on Twitter, Massive Late Fee on Facebook, Massive Late Fee at gmail.com. Send us a message, you know, uh, shout us out on Twitter, follow us on Twitter. Uh, we also have, uh, like I said, we're on iTunes, we're on Spotify, you can find us, Google Play, anywhere, michigansportsandentertainment.com, anywhere great podcasts are sold. Uh, or or absolutely free because our show is absolutely free. Um, and speaking of that, we've started a Patreon. Uh, if you go to Patreon, uh, I think it's I think the way it works is uh, Patreon.massivelatefee.com or it's massivelatefee.patreon.com. Just just search it, you'll find it on Patreon or or via our website. We have a link. Yeah, on, and by website I mean Facebook. Yeah, I'll uh, and I'll leave I'll leave a link below here too. Um, on YouTube and on the uh, iTunes and all <laughs> and all the other uh, places. So yeah, just look for that link below. Uh, you know, anything that you want to donate would be great. You know, it starts at a dollar, goes up to ten dollars. Uh, we have you know some special goodies that we're going to be you know doing some uh, exclusive content and stuff like that for the Patreon. Just any amount that. Um, you know, you wouldn't mind losing if, if if a dollar disappeared from your pocket and you wouldn't even notice or whatever. Uh, you know, a lot of money, you wouldn't mind throwing the fucking garbage. <laughs> exactly. That's, and hey, who knows? Maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll have uh, the cast of Elf on here. Probably not. Yeah, maybe it, you could pick possible. what we review. It's you can pick. We don't care. Do you think we care that much? Does it look like it? No. No, no, not at all. But yeah, so uh, you know, just uh, you know, it, it helps us out a lot uh, to uh, to join that. So, you know, check out our Patreon. Um, also, real quick before we go, Mike and I are going to be doing an audio commentary on Bandcamp, and uh, it'll also be available on the Patreon. Obviously, uh, we're going to do some Kevin Smith movies. I think uh, we might do Clerks first. We might do Mallrats first. We'll have to talk about it, um, but yeah, look for that next. That should be coming out next week, I believe. Yeah, next week. Yeah, we're looking at next week, so uh, something to look forward to. Uh, go ahead and put the razor blades down. You have a reason to live. <laughs> That's right. Hang with us for you know an hour, hour and a half, and uh, on the podcast, and then come hang out with us for two hours while we talk about and make fun of slash. Uh, admire a movie that we love or hate depending on what week it is. I mean, you might be listening to this in 2054, uh, in which case all hail the lizard people. And uh, I think that's about it. So, you know, Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff, follow us, uh, like us, or uh, uh, donate to us on Patreon. We really appreciate it. Thanks again for listening. Mike, you got anything to say before we go? Um, uh, fuck Comcast for, uh, ruining your connection half the uh, podcast. How about that? <laughs> yeah, we've been, uh, we've been having some trouble with Comcast. I think it's because they own, um, a movie studio and we've been talking pretty bad about the movie studio that they own, Universal. So you know, I, I heard that Comcast actually originated in uh, Scandinavian countries. So that's probably what it is. Oh my God. The so fucking... fuck the Swedish, fuck oh. the Danish, Norwegians can go to hell, Iceland, fuck you, fuck you for Bjork. That makes sense people. too. Bjork and her fucking dress. Okay, everybody, have a good week and we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Later. <laughs>